G'day mate, welcome along to the Exponential Performance Podcast. This is episode 81, and if you're one of our regular listeners, no doubt you have noticed a severe, severe absence on our behalf uh, from regular podcasts. But, geez, Nick, I don't know about you, it feels bloody good to be back uh, in front of the podcast microphone, in the podcast seat, uh, ready to do another one. It sure does. Um, it's a bit of a rack of the brain to think about the last time we were actually on the camera talking to each other. Face-to-face, we'd have to go back through the archives, but, mate, it was lockdown. So not dissimilar time this time last year. So it's been been too long. And we sort of had a bit of a hiatus, uh, and we've been thinking and working behind the scenes about where we want to take the podcast and what we want to sort of get out of it or give you guys, the listeners, uh, what we want to give you to to be as helpful as possible because we don't want just want to talk about stuff for the sake of talking about stuff uh, and to fill up the the internet with our ramblings just because we have, you know, the podcast that, that we've developed. And episode 81, you know, we want to do this final push towards episode 100 because it would be nice to get 100 out and beyond that. But make sure that we're delivering something that is of good quality, is of useful information to you. So you'll notice today there's no introduction music. Uh, I'm definitely getting rid of that introduction because one, and this is something that's been an ongoing thing, uh, it only includes my name. It only includes my name and this podcast is by all and it hasn't just been me for a long time but Nick, my apologies mate, we've just never got it changed. Uh, and so we are going to get a new intro, or I'm thinking almost just don't even worry about an intro because, again, it's just fluffy bullshit um, that that's required, and I'd, I'd prefer almost we just cut to the chase and just hit it straight in there. But over the next, uh, next few episodes, we want you, the listener, to help us sort of shape what this podcast means to you. What does the Exponential Performance Podcast mean to you? What When you put in your headphones and you push play, what are you expecting to hear? Uh, we kind of like the idea that the Exponential Performance Podcast is is for the thinking athlete. You know, I hope to think that the people that are listening to this are thinking about their training, thinking about how they're going to get better and using this information for that. Taking that sports science knowledge, if you will, and applying it to the real world. Um, we don't want to just be talking about stuff just for the pure uh, reason for you know the uh, the concept of mental masturbation that that you're just talking about stuff and theorizing about stuff just to do that we want this to be applied and practical so if you guys can leave some uh, comments send us some messages about what this podcast actually means to you as as one of the listeners and how you would like to see it shaped moving forward because at this stage uh, we've got some frameworks in place around the podcast, but what do you want to see more of is the first thing before we kick into the actual uh, the actual knowledge that we're going to talk about today. Um, and the other thing is, is we've had a few questions about the Harden Up project as well, or Harden Up Inc. And if you've been following uh, our social media channels, especially the Harden Up Inc., um, Instagram, so a little bit more activity on there, and the Harden Up project is something that 
is very near and dear to me, uh, and it is it's a passion project more than anything. Like I've put quite a lot of resources, quite a lot of money into it, and uh, and obviously I haven't made anything from it, and it's not that sort of thing. And I've talked with Nick about what do we do with the Harden Up project? What do we do about Harden Up Inc? And it's almost like it's not even worth doing anymore because, well, it doesn't make any money. Um, And I'm probably about uh, a grand and a half in debt to the the Harden Up project at the moment in terms of the T-shirts that I've sent out to people and the stickers and and the time and and that sort of jazz. And it, it doesn't really bother me. And I thought I've got to keep the Harden Up project alive because it does so much. One, it does so much for me. It keeps me so honest. If I'm talking about stuff uh, and posting about stuff, it keeps me uh, driving forward um, with everything that I'm doing, and it keeps me super honest and accountable, so I really like that. And then I can't let it go because of everything that I've ever done, all the training plans I've written, the training programs, the e-books, all of that stuff, the Harden Up project is the thing that I've got the most positive feedback about. That people have taken that that those concepts and applied them to their real life and got like significant noticeable changes in what they're doing. So for those two reasons, one to keep me in ca- accountable and to two keep helping you, Harden Up project is going to go on uh, and it's going to scale up from here and it's going to be bigger and better than it's ever been before because um, I need to keep myself accountable at the end of the day. But that's enough from me. Nick, how have you been? Good. Good, thank you. Um, a lot's happened since lockdown last year. Uh, well, lockdown in New Zealand. Um, I guess we have to be um, open to the fact that some of the people listening to this might still be in some sort of lockdown in the UK. Um, and, you know, I feel very, very sorry for those that are. Um, we've had a very good run here in New Zealand, um, and we've been lucky to be to be back racing. Um, you know, had a, a relatively full summer of events, went around the country. Um, I myself got married late last year as well, um, so that was that was good. And yeah, sort of back into back into some training for myself recently um, after having a bit of a break from October. So Excellent. I'm starting to. To, to to reapply the principles of harden up in the gym and out out on the bike. Excellent, and just day to day life in general, isn't it? You can't escape it once once you once you sort of grab the concepts, they just start uh, infiltrating themselves into your day to day life, and you cannot avoid them. But more on that. This is not about harden up today. Uh, we don't have anything for the harden up project for you, but what we do have is a couple of questions that uh, come from our social media um, around this concept of the one-week training plan. I always get uh, a message around this or a variation of this. Someone will post on a YouTube video, can you just write me a training program, please? I don't want anything specific or nothing in depth. Just what would one week look like? And I'm just thinking, oh, like one the YouTube comment section is not really the place for this. Um, and two, I put so much work into my training programs that like one week almost feels like 
it's not even worth doing. Do you know what I mean? Because a training program is so much more than one week. But what I thought is we need to strip this back and actually think, what does a what does a a training program, what are the bones of a training plan or a training program? If we were just to scale everything back to a week, what would that look like as a bit of a template? And then talk about some of the variables around uh, around that that training program, uh, that one week training plan. So, Nick, what did, what are your thoughts around the one week training plan? What have you got? Well, I guess a lot of that comes comes down to the end goal of the training plan, um, and probably based on the, the listeners of this podcast, we we should assume that that will be some sort of endurance sport, um, and so therefore the most important thing that I reckon to get in on a weekly basis is that long sort of endurance. Um, bike, run, kayak, whatever the um, sport is, because that's your bread and butter. You know, you get that dialed in, and then you can fit the rest of your sessions around that. Now, for most people, you know, who work Monday to Friday, that will fall on a weekend because we've got the most time in our life to do so. So, you know, you, you might sandwich a, a long run, long ride, or something on a on a Saturday, um, and then I would be factoring into also some sort of what I would term sweet spot um, or kind of tempo. Uh, session um, and that's in around about that kind of 91 percent of your uh, threshold heart rate um, sort of mid zone mid top zone three um, and that's going to give you the best bang for your buck in terms of sort of interval type of training to, to really sort of jazz up the um, aerobic system and couple that with your endurance session so, so if you had be- to do two if you only had two sessions that you could do uh, a long steady state aerobic type session, your traditional long slow distance, and then some sort of sweet spot work in there as well. Yep, that would be my my two. If, mm-hmm. if someone's like, I've got limited time, um, or if you could do those two sessions every week, week in week out for fifty two weeks of the year, uh, you're going to be a much better athlete because of it than yo-yoing all over the show. What if you had a third one in there? Because we all know that people usually train more than twice a week. What would you have? Oh, and, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier. I would throw in some sort of strength session, um, and that could vary from sort of a, a body-weighted kind of core circuit or session um, through to actually doing some sort of lifting um, strength can, can do, or strength conditioning in a, in a gym setting. Um, and that would be, you know, kind of covering the, um, the, the strength and the, that kind of core component as well as you've got your aerobic conditioning going on as well outside of that. Nice. And then if uh, they had a fourth session, so we've got uh, those gym sessions in there, we've got our long one, we've got our sweet spot. What else? Yeah, so I'd go I'd go two strength sessions just to be, mm-hmm. you know, here on the side of caution. Um, so we take, I guess, go to a, a, another session again, um, probably looking at some sort of thresholdy type of work, those sort of zone four intervals um, where you're looking to build some lactate uh, and let the body handle that um, that load. Um, and I believe we will cover some more of that kind of conversation later on. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly a, a threshold session would be my, my next go-to um, for endurance sport. Yeah, and if, if, I mean, if you get that in there, even just the long one, the sweet spot, uh, or potentially a hill session in there, which usually turns into a, a sweet spot often, depending on what the hills are, and your gym sessions, if you can do those, you're probably 90% of the way there. And then if you add that threshold interval type session on as well, like that's a pretty good training plan, isn't it? Like just a good structure to base things around. Yep, 
It is. I mean, you know, you're, you're obviously not worrying a heap about a, a linear uh, progression around when you're looking at what can I do on a week-to-week basis. Um, and again, a lot of people that I see or, or talk to don't have the, the time in their life to completely dedicate to a perfect periodization for a, an event. So having a, a week that they can mould and, you know, maybe just raise the, the durations a couple of hours um, across the course of three or four weeks and then back it off and raise it again um, within those longer sessions, uh, it's a really, really neat-looking picture um, for a training week. Mm, nice. And I guess that ties into really uh, nicely into another question that I uh, that I had and I thought would, would sandwich these two together because it kind of flows onto this. Once we've got that basic framework of what does a – you know, the ideal training week look like, um, then we can go from there. And that this question is asking, how can an athlete adapt uh, to their training if they're always doing the same amount of training per week? So let's say here's an example that they give. For example, if somebody trains each week for 15 hours uh, and they that's the top, the, you know, the, the amount of time that they have, 15 hours per week, um, and they just do the same thing every week, there's no easy week. There's no changes uh, of their intensity. How is a person able to tr- change their training and continue to adapt and to recover and improve if they're training the same amount every week? So I thought, well, this is kind of nice because we've set up the, the perfect framework for a week of training, and let's assume that's just the same every single week from now f- forever that person is eventually going to adapt to that training stimulus if it's the same. So how can we change things if time is fixed? How can we change things if time is fixed? And I think the first thing to think about is that time is only one metric, and it's a really easy one to measure because you start your stopwatch, you go out and do your session, you come home and stop it, and, and that measures time. So it's really easy, and we often associate endurance sport at least and potentially quite correctly that more is better up to up to a point of course and after that point more doesn't necessarily become better but we can just progressively overload ourselves by by doing more so once we run out of that more how can we then continue to adapt so let's imagine 15 hours or even scale that back 10 hours 10 hours a week is all we've got how can we then keep progressing? What are your thoughts around that, Nick? Well, if someone if someone came to me and said they had 10 hours a week to dedicate to their training, I would be trying to encourage that to be a, the first week might only be eight hours. So take two of those hours and get in some extra mobility, some extra recovery time. Second week would be a, a sort of a 10-hour looking at that maybe rising that intensity in some of those uh, sort of tempo threshold sessions. And then the third week being a bit of a longer week in terms of endurance, so slowing down the intensity but raising the, the time out there per session as well to kind of change the, the mode within that um, from a intensity versus duration, um, obviously keeping the, the duration the same, but you're raising the overall intensity of the session, which raises, therefore, the, the overall loading of that week um, and then raising the loading again in a different platform through the endurance side this the third week down the track. Yeah, and I, I guess what are you going to lead to with the fourth week? I've got a feeling I know what it is. Well, if, if we were being true to true to colour, probably a recovery week. Yeah. 
So, so what you're saying is you need some progression within the program and then some recovery. Because what this person says in their in their email is they they don't have a recovery week. There's no recovery weeks. It's just the same thing, bang, 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 bang. Um, and what you'd probably think is that that person gets very stale or burnt out or or has an injury and then is forced to retake that recovery. So, keeping in mind that yeah, planning re- planned recovery is better than enforced recovery. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, if you can avoid that, and I like I like the intensity thing because intensity or how hard you're training is one that we that often goes out the window first because we just go for time. But with intensity, you can have the same time, but you can have a different result, which is which is ideal in this scenario. Uh, it's like that old saying that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome is the definition of insanity. So if we're doing the same thing every week and we're expecting to improve, well, it's just insane because you're not going to improve. You're going to adapt to that exercise stimulus and then it's not going to go any further. So we need to change something. And intensity is a great place to start first. Um, There's a couple of other areas that I thought we could adjust but still keep the uh, time the same was resistance. So increasing the uh, the resistance, whether that be running and riding up hills or doing bigger gear efforts on the bike, um, using bungees around kayak hulls uh, or using uh, pool ball, pool boys or uh, paddles for swimming. All of those things, you can train for the same amount of time, but you're getting a very different load. You're getting more neuromuscular uh, load in there because of that increased resistance. We talked briefly around strength work. I mean, the progressions that you can get in, in, in the gym are just phenomenal uh, in terms of the same amount of time. Now, you can change the training stimulus in the gym in a thousand different ways in the same amount of time to, to continue to get results. And for endurance athletes, uh, especially, uh, we've talked about it before, if you're over the age of 30, uh, gym training should be you know highly recommended, I think. Um, if you're the, over the age of 40, should be compulsory, like it should be a compulsory thing that somebody makes you do. So there's a lot of gains to be made um, for endurance athletes by getting some strength work in, and again, not changing the, the training time at all. You would get better results by dropping some of your, you know, your training out in the real world, running, biking, kayaking, swimming, and supplementing it or adding, sorry, replacing it with some strength work. And then one other area that I thought, Nick, that we could potentially um, look at as well was nutrition. So you're training for the same time every week, but how can you manipulate your nutrition around that to, to you know, keep getting gains? So I thought, uh, you know, taking away some nutrition, having those nutrient deprivation sessions uh, to, to improve that metabolic efficiency same amount of time, different training stress, uh, you're going to continue to see results there. So I think the the key thing to keep in mind here is that you need to expose your body to a different training stimulus. And even if you've got the same amount of time every week, you can do that by all of those different things that we just talked about. Intensity, resistance, uh, neuromuscular uh stimulus through strength work and, and adjust your nutrition either withholding it or um, giving it at the appropriate times to, to maximize your adaptations. Yep, absolutely. And also, <clears throat> you know, 
uh, offer a wee challenge to, to anyone that thinks they've got a, um, a set number of hours per week. Maybe you go eight hours one week, 10 hours the following week, 12 hours, and then the next week after that you might be in your recovery week and you do six hours. And so you've banked some time in that recovery week where you might catch up on some things that are taking up time in the previous week so you can actually do your 12 hours of training. Um, and that's not going to work for everybody, but you know you can give a few hours back um, and then put it into another week somewhere else. Yeah, excellent. So I guess this is kind of came full circle of the, what does this ideal week of training look like? And I think it's important to keep in mind that there is no ideal cookie-cutter training week, although if you had a long session, a sweet spot or a hill session, a gym session and an interval session, that's going to be the basic bread and butter of any endurance program. But then around that, uh, how we manipulate those other variables in terms of intensity and resistance and, and nutrition, they have a massive impact on uh, just the load itself. And even if the, the hours don't change, you could do 10 hours every week and it not look any different if you were just looking at time. But you could make those weeks look very, very different in terms of your intensity. I mean, you can have a 10-hour recovery week and a 10-hour load week, and people say, well, how, how is that a recovery week if it's 10 hours and your load week was 10 hours? Well, the intensity is just completely different. You spend a lot of that time doing uh, technique work or corrective exercises in the gym um, or, you know, insert any other option here, and it, and it was com a completely different training load. So... Time, don't get hung up on time because it's not the be-all and end-all. No. And I'd say that the, the, the best training week is the one that you can be consistent with again and again and again and again. Um, you know, no one likes the... Well, no, no one that can do a 30-hour week one week and then 10 weeks at two hours um, is yep. actually going to, to get very far in their performance. But someone that could do six hours every week for 10 weeks is going to be a much better athlete big time consistent consistency yeah it is one of your talked favorite, about it before favorite terms ah excellent consistent consistency all right team we're going to move on to our next question which again is is multiple multiple questions around the same concept that we, that we always get and i thought that this that we've already answered this. Like I'm, I'm 100% sure we've already talked about this. But either one, we haven't done a good enough job of doing it, which is quite highly possible, or two, um, people just haven't listened to it. So we're going to give it another crack. But it's around VO2 max and anaerobic threshold. So here is – I'm just going to read these. These, these come from, I think, YouTube and uh, Instagram messages. So – said, hey guys, I've just watched one of your videos on YouTube and found it extremely interesting. I was just wonder if you could answer me this question as I'm having a bit of trouble understanding it. Describe the relationship between anaerobic threshold and VO2 max. And then here's another question uh, directly around that as well. It says, I don't really understand why anaerobic threshold is always shown to be lower than VO2 max. Since our oxygen usage will always be difficult uh, well, sorry, since the oxygen uses will increase with the difficulty to a certain point where oxygen becomes constrained, a.k.a. VO2 max, 
shouldn't the anaerobic threshold be higher than VO2 max? Um, and then there's one more, and this came off some forum that I was looking through, and I saw this, and I was just like, this person has no idea. Um, and they're giving out this advice. It, this person must be going into a race this weekend, and it said, good luck. It's all about breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth to find that limit of VO2 max where you'll be on the edge of aerobic operating and and peaking but not cross into anaerobic. <laughs> and so between all of those three questions, I just want to have a talk about anaerobic threshold, VO2 max, how they relate to each other and and what's, what's going on. So Nick, kick us off on this one. Where are we at? Well... <clears throat> I I often forget that the term anaerobic threshold exists uh, where it does because I'm so used to calling it lactate threshold um, and I don't quite know where in the sort of the mainstream uh, sort of media and around sports science it's, it's switched to being anaerobic threshold as the kind of the, the key term uh, because lactate threshold and VO2 max I think describe the picture a lot better mm. um, and I mean You've done done a few whiteboard Wednesday sessions um, that people could go back and check out, which actually explain this concept really well. But the concept of, of lactate threshold in terms of where it fits into VO2 max, um, the VO2 max for, for the common athlete is a very hard number to gauge. We're never going to know it unless we go and do some sports science testing. Um, and it doesn't have a huge correlation to our performance on race day compared to lactate threshold. Absolutely, that that that's that's a big part of it, isn't it? And I guess the the VO two like you can have a really low VO two max if you got the number measured, and your anaerobic threshold or your lactate threshold or your onset of blood lactate accumulation or whatever you, we we're going to term this point where the body starts producing more energy anaerobically. Um, can be really high and you can have a better performance than someone with a high VO2 max. So, yeah, there's there's definitely that um, there's not a correlation between the two, I guess you could say. But I think, like, if we just d- define VO2 max, it's the maximal rate that our body can take in and use oxygen. And so that doesn't happen in a purely aerobic state. And I think people get confused about that. They think VO2 max or your maximal aerobic capacity happens before your anaerobic threshold, but it's around the other way. So your anaerobic threshold or your lactate threshold isn't actually about transitioning to 100% anaerobic. And I think that's what people think. You're not going 100% anaerobic after your anaerobic threshold. Your anaerobic threshold or your lactate threshold is simply where your body starts to use more anaerobic energy. So you start to use that glycolytic energy system more. So there's more lactate uh, in your blood. Before that point, your lactate levels in your blood were really low just because you're working uh, more predominantly aerobically. And so I think what people think is, well, oops, I crossed over the uh, anaerobic threshold. I must be 100% anaerobic now, and there's no energy coming aerobically. But that's simply not true because what your aerobic energy system continues to do is continues to ramp up as well 
but your anaerobic energy system's ramping up at the same time. And I like that analogy that we talked about uh, in previous podcasts of those three pots boiling on the stove, our three different energy systems. And it's not actually until our aerobic energy system gets to a full boil at VO2 max, which actually happens long time after you actually start turning up your anaerobic energy system. But our anaerobic energy system doesn't fully tap out until after VO2 max. So we're sort of starting to turn the dial, and that's lactate threshold. It's like, oh, we're starting to put a little bit more gas into that pot. We're still ramping up that aerobic capacity. That pot hits a full boil. It's going as hard as it can. But the anaerobic energy system is still just simmering away. Once we go past our VO2 max, there's no more capacity in our aerobic system anymore. That's fully tapped out. Now we're really going to have to crank the gas up on the anaerobic energy system, and we're going to get that pot boiling. But that happens after your VO2 max, when you're sprinting along. Makes sense? Or have I completely lost everyone? No, I think I think the, the pot analogy is a good one, um, and we might need to, to link back to what episode that was in the show notes if you don't have it there. No, I don't have that exactly of what it's going to be, but um, if you check out the YouTube channel, our YouTube channel, there's a, a bunch of different videos on there about energy systems, and I am just about to pop out a whole bunch of videos that break down the zone series that we did. So zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four, zone five, all in their separate videos, so you don't have to go trawling through the uh, the podcast episodes. So the best place to see those is over at the Exponential Performance YouTube channel. Perfect. Anything else to add around VO2 max, anaerobic threshold, and how they sit within each other? Uh, only maybe just to, to briefly touch on the, the different methods of, of training them. Um, and I think that can sometimes help explain what they actually, or where they sit within relation to each other. And, um, again, again, your whiteboard Wednesday session does a good job, but with your VO2 max sessions, you're you're looking to fully maximise or max out the aerobic system with a, a minute or two minute, let's say, effort, and then you're looking to fully recover with a, a minute, so one to one work to rest ratio, uh, mm-hmm. versus training for the lactate or the anaerobic threshold. You're looking to build up a high level of lactate in the body to enable the body to to handle that and process that and get better and more efficient at doing that. So you might do a four-minute interval and a two-minute recovery, and then you go again. So you're working hard and recovering short, working hard again um, to force the body into processing that lactate, but you're not fully maxing the aerobic system. Um, So an anaerobic threshold interval um, for an endurance athlete is unlikely going to be under that kind of three- to four-minute time frame. Uh, because it needs time for the heart rate to come up and the energy systems to start to produce the lactate um, that we're trying to accumulate in the system, essentially. Um, and I will often try where I can to get athletes to do VO2 max sessions using power on the bike or pace when they're running because the heart rate never fully gets up into the zone within that minute or two minutes sometimes. So yep. if you've got a pace that you know that, okay, right, at, at this many minutes per kilometre or this wattage, I am working um, in my VO2 max states in that kind of zone five um, area. 
then you can actually get the most out of that session without thinking, oh, my heart rate's still in zone four, I need to work harder again, and then you're actually working on your anaerobic power or that um, sort mm-hmm. of very top-end system. Absolutely. And I just want to touch on that on that last um, the last little comment or the last little uh, question that was, well, was it was that comment that someone left, and 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 just how that's that's not correct because some people think, well, it kind of sounded like it was probably correct because they threw a couple of big words in there, and um, and it seems like it would be logical. But let's have a think about this. So this person is giving advice around pacing on race day. So in through the nose, out through the mouth, cool. Probably a great way to breathe for sure, especially when you're at steady state. Um, I'd always say don't try and control your breathing too much when you're exercising because your body does it quite automatically. Um, but in through the nose, out through the mouth is a good way to keep you nice and steady because if you're breathing like that, you can't go too hard. So if you're doing a long endurance race uh, and you're still nose breathing, you're uh, you're going to keep your pace down just just as a result of, of breathing through your nose because you will naturally transmission to uh, transition to breathing through the mouth as you push harder. But that's a bit of a side note. But then it says to find the limit of VO2 max, the limit of VO2 max. So there is the limit of VO2 max is VO2 max. And so you're never going to be able to sustain VO2 max in an endurance race uh, any longer than, than, a, than a few minutes because it's your maximal rate of oxygen consumption. So what they're talking about there is find your limit of aerobic operation, which is your lactate threshold. So they're, they're talking about something that's up here, but what we're actually talking about is something that's down here, and it's called your lactate or anaerobic threshold. And that's that point where your aerobic system is doing the majority of the work, and if you go over that point, then you're going to start producing more energy anaerobically and you're going to produce more lactate your body's not able to process that so you start developing fatigue but that is a long way below your maximal oxygen consumption your body can consume a lot more oxygen than that but it doesn't necessarily mean that it should or that it's going to help your performance when you're thinking about pacing pacing is kind of like a hose or emptying a bucket of water so you can you can punch a massive hole in a bucket of water and it's all just going to flow out within two seconds. That's the maximal rate that that water can come out of that bucket. That's the maximal rate that your body can uh, consume and utilize oxygen. Happens really fast. The capacity, though, is the size of the bucket. If you empty that bucket in two seconds, then there's no more water in there. However, if you fill that bucket up with water and then just poke a couple of pinholes in there, then it's going to start flowing out really slowly. And there's, there's going to be a point where you're going to get the, the longest amount of water coming out of that bucket for the, 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 the most amount for the longest time. So the most amount for the longest time is your lactate threshold. That's where it's just consistently coming out and it's going to be able to do that for uh, hours at a time without running out of water. But if you compare that to just cutting a big hole in the bottom of the bucket, all the water's going to rush out. It's powerful. It happens very quickly. Can't do it for a long time. So I guess that's a, another way of thinking about that. VO2 max, 
lactate threshold, anaerobic threshold, depending on what term they uh, are using. That's enough talk about lactate thresholds and anaerobic thresholds, do you think, Nick? Yep, I think so too. Brilliant. So we're going to wrap it up there. First episode back in a long time. Uh, and like I said, we've got some good stuff planned. But if you have any feedback, things you'd like to see, people you'd like to hear from, um, and let us know what does the Exponential Performance podcast sort of mean to you when you put those headphones in what are you expecting to hear uh, are you expecting to hear absolute dribble um, about random stuff or are you thinking you're going to get some sciencey stuff that you can apply to the real world are you whatever it might be what do you want let us know we're going to do our best to bring it to you however until next time get out there and train hard but most importantly train smart. We'll talk to you later.